Well, nice to be with you again uh, today. Thank you, Graham, for the invitation to be here. And uh, if you have a Bible, can I invite you to turn to Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 are the verses that I want to focus on. But uh, we'll read a little bit around those verses just to catch the context. So... Proverbs chapter 3 and reading from verse 1 and I think I'm reading from the NIV My son, do not forget my teaching but keep my commands in your heart for they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favour and a good name in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And he will make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Just a prayer together. Lord, we ask that as we ponder uh, these verses that we've read together this morning... We pray that you will bless us, minister to us, uh, speak to us, inspire us, encourage us. Lord, just do us good as we wrestle with your word and uh, its implications for our lives in the 21st century. And uh, we pray for the help of the Holy Spirit and we pray that you will Help us, and we ask this in our Saviour's name. Amen. So, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 is one of the great verses of the Bible, isn't it? Uh, Everybody uh, who knows anything about the Bible has probably heard Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It's, if... Proverbs, the book of Proverbs was written by uh, Solomon, then it, it's, it's not just words, it is actually words from the pen of the wisest man that ever lived. And he prayed uh, that God would give him wisdom to rule his kingdom, and God made him the wisest man on the earth. So what we have here are the words of an incredibly wise individual, not just uh, Robert Murdoch prattering at the front of a meeting. These are words of a wise man. Not only are they the words of a wise man, but they are also the advice of a father to a son. If you notice at the beginning of the chapter, he refers to his son and he's speaking, it would appear, to his son. And uh, if you have the joy of uh, having children, if you ever enjoy, have the joy of, uh, of having children, you will know uh, or appreciate, I think, the emotion that is behind this text of Scripture. Most parents, not all parents, sadly, because we live in a very broken world, but most parents have a concern for their children that comes 
before anything else except the Lord. Uh, I never really appreciated that. I never really appreciated the love that my parents had for me until I had children of my own. And it was only then that I fully understood um, the love that they had for me as I considered the love that I have for them. There's nothing I wouldn't do for them. Uh, And I I don't say that lightly. I say that sincerely and and, uh, I think I I mean it. I think it's true. There's nothing that I wouldn't do for my children. The other day I was traveling with my son and and, uh, he said to me, Oh, I like your watch. And and, uh, without even hesitating, and I don't know where it came from, I just took it off and said, Here, you can have it if you want it. And and that's a natural thing for a parent to want to provide for and love his children children or his child. Uh, So this then is the advice of a father to a son. Uh, So these words are from a heart that really, really cares. Uh, And I want to share a few thoughts from these few verses to you. Um, And I want you to look at four things with me. In this text of scripture, I, I see four things. I see there's a great trust. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. A great trust. And then the second thing that I see is that there's a a great danger. Don't lean on your own understanding. Or a great temptation if you like. Thirdly, there is a great test. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. Great test. And then finally, there's a great truth. God will direct your paths. Or in the words of the NIV or the translation of the NIV, God will make your way straight. God will make a way for you. So those are the four things I'm going to camp on. There's a great trust, a great danger, a great temptation, a great test, and a great truth. So first of all, there's a great trust. Trust in the Lord. So, in what sort of ways should we trust in the Lord? When it says, trust in the Lord, what what does Solomon have in mind when he says, trust in in the Lord with all of your heart? Well, I think the first thing I, I would say is that we ought to trust his providence. Sometimes the way God takes us is hard to fathom, isn't it? It's hard to work out why the Lord has taken us down the pathway that he has. It's It's... Difficult sometimes to understand why God didn't take us a different path, an easier path, a more pleasant pathway. Why did God have to take us down the pathway that he did? And sometimes we may like to change things a little bit. We wish that our circumstances were different. And I think that's natural. I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. Um, I think that's fairly normal. But we must trust God's providence. We must trust his wisdom. We must trust his plan. We must trust that God ultimately knows what he is doing. We always hope that life will be kind to us, and I hope that life will be kind. I hope that life is being kind to all of you. My prayer is for the students that I work with, is that they'll enjoy a full and happy life, a long life. And that one day they will die in their beds at about 105 years of age, and they'll just quietly slip away in their sleep. That's what my prayer is for lots of people. But the truth is that life holds many challenges. It involves experiences we wish it didn't. On occasions, we often wish that God had taken us another way. But we must trust his providence. 
We must trust His wisdom. We must trust that whilst His ways are not our ways, His ways will ultimately be best. We must trust that we only see the underside of the tapestry, but He sees the upper side. And He is weaving together a beautiful picture which in the end will glorify Him and will be for our ultimate good. It's not easy to do that. It's not easy to trust God's providence when you're up against it. It's not easy to understand why God has taken us the way that He has taken us. It's not easy when you stand beside a couple who are burying their two-year-old daughter and uh, you hug them at the gravesite and feel them tremble to the very core of their being and, and everything within you wishes that it could have been different and that God could have taken us a different way but this is the way that God did take us and somehow we must trust God's providence we must trust that ultimately God is working all things together for our good and for his glory. Even though we can't see it and even though we can't understand it. And even though at times we are clinging by our fingertips. We must trust God's providence. Because he is a good God. And he is good all of the time. I think the second thing I'd say in relation to trusting God is that we must trust his provision. Never buy into the notion that salvation can be earned by good works. The just shall live by faith. And to trust in the Lord with all your heart is to trust in the provision that God has made through Christ for us to be saved. And and bought back and brought back from our own sinfulness and our own brokenness and given the assurance of heaven. That's what it is to trust in the Lord. Don't ever believe the lie of every other religious system in the world. I need to do something. I need to work to earn God's favor. God's favor rests on us because the righteousness of Christ has been transferred to our spiritual bank account. The goodness, the beauty, the loveliness of Jesus has been imputed to us and we're accepted in Christ. We're accepted in the beloved. And often the devil comes to us and says, that's not enough, you know. And you'll have to work and you'll have to do this and you're not able to do this and you're doomed. But we ought not to believe his lies. We ought to trust in this amazing provision that God has made for us in Christ. But you know, trusting God's provision is about more than that, isn't it? We must trust that God will provide for us and care for us in the journey of life. Five years ago I left uh, a pastor of a church in Canada, salaried position, obviously, um, and Americans and Canadians seem to know how to pay their pastors. And I came back to the UK to work for an organization that gives me a little... um, a little uh, missionary allowance and so I've got three kids at university now and that allowance would pay the fees of just two of them or the the student accommodation fees of just two of them the other one will have to sing and the rest of us at home will have to sing unless the Lord provides but I, I, I tell you that because I want you to know that over the last five years God has never let me down not once God has provided for me in the most miraculous, unbelievable ways imaginable. And uh, I just say that we must, trusting in the Lord with all of our hearts surely means to trust that God knows what I need and can provide it. 
So we must trust God's providence. We must trust God's provision. We must trust God's promises. God will keep his word. We must trust that he will accept us and that he will not cast us out. I remember uh, when I was a youngster and I had become a Christian and the devil tormented me for ages about whether I was a Christian or whether I wasn't a Christian. And eventually I got to that place where I just said, Lord, I'm going to have to trust that verse in John 6 that all who come to me shall in no wise be cast out. And you can tell my vintage now in terms of the Bible version that I quote. But I had to really cling to that. Lord, I came to you. You didn't turn me away. You won't turn me away. You've accepted me. You've drawn me in. You've, I'm one of your children. I've, I've, and and there, there comes a point where we have to trust in the Lord's promises. We must trust that the blood of his son has cleansed us from all unrighteousness. We must trust that he loves us and he will never ever forsake us. We must trust that he will remain the same yesterday, today and forever. And that he will never change. Tomorrow you might get up and you might find that your husband is grumpy. But you'll never find God grumpy. God is the same, constantly the unchanging God. We must really believe and hold on to these promises by faith. We, we need to trust that as our days shall be, so shall our strength be. And that's not just in terms of the number of our days. As your days, so shall your strength be. That relates to the nature of our days. Whatever our days hold, so shall your strength be. God will strengthen us to face whatever it is we face. <coughs> We need to trust God's grace. Uh, We need to trust his providence, his provision, his promises, his grace. God's grace is his undeserved favor. And, And that grace, God's undeserved favor, relates to more than just the day that we became Christians. It relates to every day that we live. We live under the umbrella of God's undeserved favor. Um... And I must trust that that grace will be sufficient. So I live in grace. You know, grace puts us on the Christian life. Grace keeps us in the Christian life. And grace is waiting for us at the end of the Christian life. The whole thing from start to finish is God's undeserved grace and undeserved favor. And we must trust in God's grace. You know, and we must trust in the sufficiency of that grace. Three times Paul prayed for the removal of his thorn in the flesh, he tells us. Three times he prayed. Lord, take away this thorn in the flesh. I could do much more in terms of ministry if you took this away. And God said, no, I'm not taking it away. My grace will be sufficient for you. And we don't know what his thorn in the flesh was. Was it his eyesight? Was it some kind of a health issue? Was it as John MacArthur thinks? Difficult people? They can be a bit of a thorn in the flesh, can they? Difficult, difficult people. But God said to Paul, my grace will be sufficient for you. You will have the undeserved help that you need to cope with whatever way God leads you. The Lord's grace will be sufficient for you. My kids are playing a song at the minute that I've been listening to. If you don't move the mountains... If you don't part the waters, I will trust in you. Even if you don't move the mountains, and even if you don't part the waters, I will trust, I will trust in you. We need to trust 
in uh, the Lord's grace. We need to trust the Lord's directives. That's not easy. Not always easy to follow God's directives. God is, God's word advises us to do things which are difficult. And the direction that God gives us can be costly. Sometimes uh, the directives that God gives to us as his people contradict popular opinion and current trends. It's not easy to forgive when you want to get even. It's not easy to follow the Lord's call when others are pursuing a prosperous career. It's not easy to remain pure when the trend even amongst Christians is just to embrace immorality. But we must trust in the, in the Lord's directives. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. And the commandments of the Lord are pure, enlightening the eyes. Do we really believe that this book is our guide, our sure guide to heaven? Do we really believe that the directives that God gives to us are his stepping stones to freedom? Or do we view God's directives as some, some kind of chain that burdens us and hangs on us and weighs us down? Surely this is the way that God wants us to walk because it's the right way, it's the good way. And herein lies the ways of life. That's why God wants us to observe his directives. Then it says, trust in the Lord, but it says with all your heart. And, and, and you could gloss over that, but, but we must... Trust in the Lord with all of our heart. Uh, we can be a bit half-hearted in terms of our trust of God. But we must have an unswerving confidence in his goodness, his faithfulness and his love. So I, my oldest daughter is now 21 actually, uh, which is scary. Uh, you'd never have believed that, sure you wouldn't, because I'm so young looking. But I have a daughter, 21, and uh, when she was a child, she was incredibly timid. She was 18 months all out before she took her first step, and she was very timid. She used to go on holiday um, to Holland when we were when the kids were young. We lived at that point in uh, where did we live at that point? Northern Ireland, I think. So we travelled to uh, Holland and, and we went to a little centre parks place. They were about half the price in Holland than they are in England so that made sense to us so we went there and we would go down so the kids would play in the pool they'd go down this big sort of slide and drop off into the water but she would never go on her own the only way that she would go is if I took her on my knee that was the only way that she would go and as long as I went with her, she trusted that I would care for her. That when we got into the pool, that I would keep her afloat. She trusted me. A pretty humbling thing, actually. But wouldn't it have been awful if she hadn't trusted me? It would have broken my heart if she hadn't trusted me. If she had dreamt for one minute that I wouldn't have cared for her, that I wouldn't have protected her, that I wouldn't have kept her afloat. I care for her. I love her with an absolute passion, as with the rest of my children. I love them with a passion. And if that's true of me, a feeble earthly father, how much more true is it of God? We must trust God with all of our hearts. There isn't a hope that he would disappoint us, let us down in terms of breaking his promises. We must trust him with all of our hearts. 
Trust him implicitly. Trust him fully. Cling to him that ultimately he will do what is right for us. You know, I sometimes think about my uh, about this in, in relation to my my children. Uh, I, you know, when my kids were young, if if I'd walked into the kitchen and they were around the table saying, oh, "I wonder where we're going to get our next meal from," and "Who's going to buy our next pair of shoes?" This is awful. And uh, what about our clothes? My clothes are too small for me. How will we ever afford new clothes? That would have distressed me and troubled me because I want them to trust me. I am their father. I'll provide for them. And if that's true at that level, surely it's true of our Heavenly Father's level. We must trust God with all of our hearts. How it must pain Him when we fail to trust Him. Well, a great trust, a great temptation... Don't lean on your own understanding. Don't lean on your own understanding. Uh, If you are like me, you'll want to work everything out. That's the kind of person I am. But, But because we are the children of Adam, we're infected by sin, and sin clouds our judgment, it fogs our brains, and our understanding is unreliable. We can't lean on our own understanding. In relation to two things. First of all, in relation to God's ways. We are not to lean on our own understanding. Our knowledge is finite. It's limited. We only see part of the picture. But God sees the entire picture. God knows the end from the beginning. He knows what the end will look like. Sometimes when we're in the thick of life's experiences, we run the risk of looking at things from a human perspective rather than from a divine perspective. And we have a tendency to walk by sight and not by faith. We look at some of the difficulties of life and we wonder, how could this ever be for our good? How could God make any good, bring any good out of this? Sometimes we look at life's difficulties and wonder, how will we ever get through them? But we need to remember that God's perspective is not our perspective. We need to remember that God's knowledge is eternal. And it may make no sense to us, but we must remember that we are not to lean on our own understanding. We are to walk by faith, not by sight. Recently I was flying uh, into Edinburgh from somewhere and uh, as we were coming in it was incredibly foggy. Actually, it wasn't Edinburgh, it was Belfast. I was going to speak at a conference in Belfast. We're flying into Belfast. And and I looked out the window of the plane because I had a window seat. And and the fog was so thick that you could hardly see the end of the plane's wing. And as we were coming into land, I thought, how does does that man man who is sitting in the driving seat of this monster, how does he actually know where to bring this thing down? Surely he must have been flying by the instruments because he couldn't see anything. The instruments must have been telling him how high he was off the ground, how how close he was to the edge of the runway. He had to be flying by the instruments. And so it is in the Christian life. We must fly by the instruments. We don't understand everything. We don't know the ways of God. We must walk by faith and not by sight. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding in relation to God's ways. But also in relation to God's word. In relation to God's word, we are not to lean on our own understanding. 
We must trust uh, God's word, not our own uh, understanding. Sometimes we feel as Christians, I can't be bothered going to church today. Do you ever feel that? you ever hear the story of the pastor who... Uh, who, who uh, well, this lady walked into a room and she says to this boy lying in bed and he pulled the pillow over his head and she, she says to him, it's time to get up. Uh, Sunday morning and he says to her, give me a few reasons why I should get up. I don't feel like getting up. And uh, he, she said to the boy on the bed, who was her son, uh, you're 40 years of age. You are the pastor of the church. 300 people are waiting for you to preach to them. Sometimes you don't feel like going to church. But the Bible makes it absolutely clear that we ought not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. It's important, isn't it, that we meet together, that we encourage each other. Iron sharpens iron. We need to hear the word of God opened up to us so that it washes us and cleanses us and instructs us and guides us. And sometimes we don't feel like doing it, but we must obey the instructions of God's word. And if we went by our own understanding, we'd probably just stay in bed. Sometimes uh, I, I find, as I used to be in, in pastor work, I used to find that you know Christians falling in love with someone who's not a Christian... And uh, didn't share their devotion for God. Didn't share their heart for God. Going in a different direction. And, and I know what it's like. You love them. You want to be with them. And it's really, really hard to follow God's instruction and God's guidelines about, uh, about um, not being unequally yoked and, and what fellowship is like with dark. It's not easy. But we must trust in the, the, the wisdom of God's word, not our own understanding. We could go on and on. I mean, a classic one in which we really struggle to follow and trust in the wisdom of God's word is when we've been hurt by the cruel words and actions of other people. They said something to us. They said something about us. And, and uh, the temptation is to want to get even. Remember uh, being involved in church life, and, and uh, somebody came to me and said to me, "I didn't even want to be in the same room as you, <laughs> because if they said if what they said about you is true, um, then I, I, I'm not sure that I want to be on this committee with you." They said to me, and that was so painful. Uh, if you, I could tell you the story, but if I started telling you the story and someone heard this tape, I might get myself into trouble. Um, the, the, the story was fairly simple. A couple of people had fallen out, and I was trying to walk this middle line and trying to be, bring them together, and both parties started shooting the boots off me. And, and uh, one party in particular was telling other folks uh, that I said this and did this. And, and I, I was just trying to walk this middle line, trying to pull people together. Let's fix this out. Please somehow fix it out. Let's, let, please let's not allow this to, to part, cause us to part ways. And, uh, you know, when you hear somebody saying something like that, you know, you feel like the bell is ringing in your corner and that you should come out with your fists up. You want to fight to defend yourself. And, and then I reminded myself that at no point in the ministry of Jesus did he defend himself. He defended others, but he never defended himself. He defended the woman who was caught in adultery and they were going to stone her. Uh, leave her alone, he said to them. Leave her alone. 
He defended others, but he never defended himself. When he was reviled, he reviled not in return. He committed his cause to him who judges justly. The point is, we think that we know what is best, don't we? But God knows what is best. And we must trust in the wisdom of his directives. You know, uh, I see this in, in children all the time. When my kids were younger, and even now, uh, some of the younger, they'd eat sweets morning, noon, and night. I mean, they, they, who needs lunch? Things like, things like uh, potatoes and chicken and vegetables. I mean, who would want to eat that when you could eat M&Ms and you could eat, like, minstrels? I mean, but the truth is, those kids, they ought not to trust in their own understanding. They should trust in the wisdom of their parents because their parents do know best. And, and that's true of us. God knows what is best, even though we think that we know what is best. One night, William Cowper ordered a horse and carriage and asked the driver to take him to the river where he intended to jump off the bridge and end his life. The driver got lost in the fog and Cowper fell asleep in the back of the carriage. And eventually, the driver brought him home and uh, having had a bit of a sleep, he then felt a bit better. And the next day, he penned these words, Judge not the Lord by feeble sense but trust him for his grace behind a frowning providence there is a shining face blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his works in vain God is his own interpreter and he will make his make it plain so those are the first two things a great trust a great temptation thirdly a great test in all your ways acknowledge him that's the test Acknowledging uh, God in all of our ways obviously means we acknowledge that God exists, doesn't it? That's That's the very starting place. But it involves more than that. If we're going to trust in the Lord with all our hearts and not lean on our own understanding, and if we're going to acknowledge God in all of our ways, then we have to acknowledge God's right to to be obeyed. It's the acknowledgement that God's opinion matters. It is to give God his place. It is to acknowledge him in everything that we do. In whatever we do, we consult him for his opinion, his direction. It relates to the big questions of life. What would God want me to do with my life? Not just what do I want to do with my life, but what does God want me to do with my life? What kind of person does God want me to marry? Where does God want me to serve? What kind of work does God want me to be involved in? But it relates to more than the the big questions of life. It relates to every area of life. What kind of parent does God want me to be? What kind of things would God want me to prioritize in in relation to raising my children? What would God want of me as a parent? At school, what kind of pupil does God want me to be? In the classroom, with my friends at the school lockers. How would God want me to behave there? What kinds of things would God want me to be saying to my friends? And how would God want me to interact with my teacher? That's what it means to acknowledge God in all your ways. At work, what kind of an employee would God want me to be? What kind of a teacher would he want me to be? What kind of a nurse would he want me to be? What kind of a joiner would he want me to be? What kind of nurse would God want me to be? What kind of salesperson? And on and on the list goes. 
when we're out with our friends, the question that should constantly be on our minds is, what would God want? What does God expect? The the second thing I think I want to mention in relation to acknowledging God in all your ways is not just to acknowledge or seeking God's approval, but I think it, it is to acknowledge God's providence. If we're going to acknowledge God in all our ways, I think it means things like not taking the glory yourself and acknowledging that everything I have and Everything I do is because of God's amazing goodness to me. I I preach sermons all the time, but God could shut me up in in a minute. And I'd never preach again. And uh, God could take away any gifts, any possessions, any personality that he has given to any of us. In an instant he could take it away. He is the one that we should give the glory to. He is the one that gives us the opportunities that we enjoy. There are people in other parts of the world who don't enjoy the kind of opportunities that we enjoy. Somehow they've been born in a different society, in a different culture. But in the providence of God, he has opened up to us limitless opportunities. But it's his glory, not ours. He's the one that we should be pointing people towards, not our own greatness. You know, we live in a society that exalts windbags and big heads. And it's very hard not to get caught up in the rat race. But, But we must give glory to God. In 1996, John Lennon said, Christianity will die. We are more popular than Jesus, he said. But I I wonder if even my kids know who John Lennon is. My younger kids, I don't even know if they know much about the Beatles. We must acknowledge God in all of our ways. And the last thing is a great truth. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. And the idea behind this word, uh, he will direct your paths, is that of making it plain. Sometimes it's used of removing obstructions. Um, He will make your path straight. That's what it says in the NIV. If you acknowledge God in all your ways, he will make a way for you. That's the promise. That's the promise. He will make a way for you. I don't think this is a blueprint for endless joy. I don't think that this is saying, you know, if you do this, this is a recipe for absolute success in life and you'll always be walking around with a big silly smile on your face and everything will be wonderful. I don't think that's what this is saying. I think what this is saying is that God will make a way for you. God will make a way for you. I think of a couple that I married uh, a few years ago and I actually preached in this little text of scripture at their wedding and uh, they were married in the summer she was diagnosed with uh, breast cancer in November and uh, she went through horrendous scores of chemotherapy and uh, I remember meeting with them and, uh, and, and uh, yet yeah, God made a way for them Somehow God made a way for them through that difficult journey. Remember uh, meeting with a, a widow in, in, in my church and her husband had died and left her with two young boys. And I remember sitting with her and she said to me, Robert, I don't know how I will get through without him. And I was a young pastor. I hardly had a clue what to say to her. And I just said to her, well, God will have to make a way. 
And I met with her many years later and she said, she remembered the conversation. I hadn't remembered it, but she remembered it. And she said, I remember you told me that God would make a way. And God has made a way. And God has sustained me. And God has removed obstacles and made the way straight for me. And that's what this verse is promising. If we trust in the Lord with all of our hearts, and if we don't lean on our own understanding, if in all our ways we acknowledge Him and ask, what does God want? What kind of person does God want me to be? God will make a way for us. God will make a way for us. And I I have to say that that's been my experience. I'm not saying that my life has always been easy. Um... But I am saying to you that God has made a way for me. And somehow God has opened up the way before me. And I believe that God will do that for you with all my heart. Or I wouldn't stand here this week or any week. I believe that with all my heart. If you're intent on following God and loving God and serving God and living for God, God will make a way for you. So the three things, the four things were very simple, weren't they? The four things were a great trust. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. A great temptation to avoid. Don't lean on your own understanding. A great test. Acknowledge Him in all your ways. In everything you do, everything you put your hand to, ask, what does God want? And a great truth. He will direct your paths. You can trust him to guide you. One of my favorite verses in all of the scriptures is this. Psalm 73 verse 24. You will guide me with your counsel. And afterwards receive me to glory. Isn't that a great verse? That's the assurance of a Christian. God will guide us with his counsel. And then when life is over, he will receive us into glory. Just a prayer. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for this little text of scripture. It's familiar to us, but its truth is just glorious. Help us to cling to it, to live in the light of it, and uh, Lord, to experience it, the truth of it. And we pray that you will make a way for every person in this building. And uh, help each of us, Lord, to do what this verse exhorts us to do. And we pray this humbly in Jesus' name. Amen.